This is the Educational Triage Podcast. Welcome. We invite you to come along with us on an exploration of interviews, issues, and other exciting and relevant topics in education, especially alternative education. They say alternative education is a laboratory for mainstream education. Why? Well, join us every week and listen in as Philip Summers and I, Tony Hunt, jump in feet first to discuss issues that may affect our classes, students, communities, as well as our teaching. Please subscribe if you enjoy and find relevance in what you experience here. And if you haven't left a quick review, please do. We appreciate your candor and insights so we can improve as we move forward. Now, let's see what's on board today. And hi ho everybody, and welcome to Educational Triage. This week, we are talking about the roles of institutions and policymakers, as well as systems, in preparing teachers for alternative education. And to help me do that, of course, we have the lovely, frolicking Philip. Can't, can't frolic and stay on camera. Aloha. <laughs> That's true. Hey, so the, the, the components that we're going to cover this week, we're going to look at curriculum development, accreditation and recognition, partnerships and collaboration, professional development opportunities, supportive policies and funding, research and evidence-based practices, professional standards and certification, as well as support and mentorship programs. Hey, that is a great beat. It's easy to dance to. Is it? <laughs> did I actually I do that? There and I, thought about it. Hey. I didn't think I had a cadence. You did. Oh, excellent. Let's cut to the chase. One of the things, because we are talking about training alternative ed teachers, and we also know that as far as if we're going to talk about educational institutions, we're talking about universities, we're talking about anywhere that there might be some form of training for a teacher. So whether it's on the job training, whether or not it is uh, in the community, mm -hmm. somewhere. So universities, the, the schools themselves, uh, policymakers, we know that fewer than 20% of policymakers actually have ever set foot in a classroom as a teacher and have any teaching experience. And from what I'm gathering from speaking to educators all around, mm -hmm. yeah. that there are more and more administrators being hired who have absolutely no classroom experience. Yes. That and this is concerning in a sense. And then uh, educational systems are any one of those systems that would prepare or use or foster training. So an educational system would be a high school. It would be anything that would carry them around. And yes, I said that for institutions, but yes, they can, they can be in both. With curriculum development, let's start with that because curriculum development seems to be one of the big linchpins and it's also one of the most, I think it's polarizing because a lot of institutions, policymakers, they want to 
let's get those kids and they must do what we tell them to do. It's that whole idea of conformity as opposed to yeah. what are the skills and what are the standards that we're trying to get them to learn? What have they already learned? What can they teach us? And how do we deliver, create a delivery system that is equitable, that's fair, and that's rich yeah. with, with the content so that the students can leave with that content somehow or other embedded. Well, one of the things I thought about with curriculum development, um, when it comes to, when it comes to either presenting it or um, using it, uh, using a curriculum is that it has to have a lot of depth to it, a lot of bandwidth. Uh, we both know from alternative ed that, uh, you have to have a lot of flexibility with your curriculum because you might be teaching somebody in the seventh grade level in a senior kind of junior level environment to say the mm -hmm. least. And so you have to appropriately, you know, address that. It's also sometimes tough to get the kid who's really smart. They were the challenge because it's like, Oh dang, I don't want to hold the kid back, but right. there's so much bandwidth in there. And so when there is that curriculum development, you have to kind of, initiate that alternative ed atmosphere, that alternative ed approach. Like the curriculum has to be really flexible. You know, so if you're, if you're developing curriculum that you really want to use for alternative ed or to, to train alternative ed educators, it has to sort of have uh, almost a, a real flexible quality to it. You mean a parallel Almost, quality in a sense? Kind of so like that. that. You have to really let it develop with the students. Right. And so you have a parallelism where yeah. if you don't have the requisite skills to be, let's say, an 11th grader, you're losing out on the reading and the writing. Yeah. How do I impart that information to you so that you have it while also working with you on those basic skills yeah, that's, that you need. It's very flexible. You're very, you have to have a nimble mind. You know, you have to kind of like juggle uh, abilities. And when it comes to curriculum development and um, training educators to be alternative educators, you have to work with them almost in within a collaborative sense, like, I've got my ideas of what it's going to be like and how I've done alternative ed, but then again, alternative ed demands that I consider that I have to change. And so you have to collaborate with the students. And so I'm saying it's not so much the content, but the manner in which you develop the curriculum. And the intent. Yeah. The intent is to, and you're actually training them. It would seem to me, you know, the educators, you know, you're working with a group of students who want to be educators in alternative ed. Go, okay, here's the deal, guys. I really need you and you need me. So here's what we're going to do. And they go, well, huh? We've never quite done that before. It's like, oh, welcome to alternative ed and alternative ed training. Yeah. Right. And I think one of the capstones of that is the parallel kind of curriculum that you have going. Yeah. But it's also the remediation. And yeah. you also need to be very adept at universal design for learning as yeah. well as I'm thinking Carol Tomlinson, mm. where she talked about the um, differentiated curriculum. 
with differentiated different differentiated curriculum and um yeah and just being able to reach the students in whatever format because how what i want to learn about a topic is not necessarily what you want to learn but i can figure out some different ideas that maybe you want to explore on that and then we can all come back together and possibly using some of the kagan concepts and i know that I don't know that Kagan came up with all of these, but the cooperative learning, we can jigsaw and we can come up with a meatier piece of knowledge. So let's say that we're talking about, I don't know, let's say that we're talking about immigration and you bring in causes of why people come over for for immigration. Somebody else takes on how do we handle immigration? What's going on with that? and somebody else may take something else. I mean, they all have different components, so we can teach each other, but we're all learning. It's the foundation, I think. It's becoming an alternative ed educator by behaving like an alternative ed student. You're an ed educator. Yeah, I I wish I'd had that in my classes, you know, that, hey, let's get together and develop Mm -hmm. this and create something together. like you said, something about immigration, it's much more interesting. Right, because you don't know how many of your students actually have those stories right. inside their own families, inside their walls. Uh, back in, back in yeah. the day, years ago, there was a project, it was a project-based learning kind of thing that was rolled out and we were using it with ELL students but they also wanted to do it with um, regular ed students. And it was teaching students about their own backgrounds, about where they came from, so they could learn more about their own heritage. And they could learn some background uh, about who they are and where they come from. And what are their traditions, if they have any? So they're not devoid of context. Mm-hmm. And I brought a little bit of that in. We were doing the Pearl, and I was working primarily with uh, Russians, Russian students, and uh, Latino students. And so they came in, and they were all telling me all these stories that their families were telling them. And I said, You didn't know that? And they said, No. And my parents were so pleased because we had never asked. And I thought, wow, because in my family, my parents used to tell us about things. So, but, you know, different strokes for different folks, right? I mean, sometimes you have to ask. I've learned so much. And just the stories of the students. I had one student who talked about crossing the border and and being snuggled up to the engine because they had a coyote who brought them up to the border, but they were in trucks. And so he was in the engine. He was right next to the engine, which was really hot. So they padded him, but it was really, really hot. And he was really young. And then they made it over and his parents were thankful that he survived. But he smuggled in the engine. Yeah, they were all smuggled in. And so you hear these stories and you wonder, you wonder how, that would have been had I been him or would I 
do that with my family to get a better life. Yeah, one of the things I was thinking about uh, when you were speaking about that was giving out a questionnaire to students. And then I thought to myself, A, it would kind of shock other students to see this, but it's appropriate, you know. Have you ever, you know, been in a war zone? Or mm-hmm. Have you been a refugee? Right. Uh, you know, and because that's not the kind of question you're going to ask people, really. First. I don't know that I would ask students that if I they wanted either, if they but... wanted to come forward with something like that because I don't want to bring up trauma. Well, not that's really, why I say they go you're home. Not they the talk. one that's going to bring it up. In fact, but I if you ask them those questions, and maybe verbally. If, if you ask them those questions, you're going to bring it up. I, I yeah. just wanted them to go home and ask their parents, you know, tell me some stories. Yeah. It's like, raise your hand if you've ever, you know. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> it's like, no. Well, some kids might not do that. Some kids right. might go, hey, let me tell you. Ooh. No, I, you're always surprised by what they're willing to share with you. But I do want to know about the kid themselves, too. You know, and that's why I would give out that questionnaire. So that right. Uh, confidential, you know, I really do. I mean, if you've gone through some trauma that, that most people sort of sit on and put underneath the service, don't share with the teacher. I'd kind of like to know about it if for no reason, but to respect you and that, what I would perceive to be that boundary, you know, just sort of, you know, stand it. That's a rough time. There's something else that I don't think people actually understand because I also used to be a consultant with the um, with the migrant education project. Yeah, yeah. And what people don't understand is that it was either in 1966 or 68 there was a there was an act passed by Congress. And if people came to this country and they wanted an education it doesn't matter if they're illegal or illegal. You cannot share any of those records with the immigration services. Mm-hmm. Immigration service, there is a there is a firewall between education and educational services and the immigration. Yes, there is. So any school, anybody in a school who reports illegal immigrants is violating federal law. So if they're acting on behalf of the school mm-hmm. and if they're a worker at the school then and they report that, then there's no other way that they would know it. Right. So um, so that's, that's something that nobody actually knows or else they're just not aware of it. But here, let me throw out some other things that in my notes that I have on this. And I think you're right, because we need a creative, supportive environment for teachers to be able to create these curriculums. And And create new approaches to the curriculum. That's right. We need to be innovative. the ideas as soon as you're training. So when we have people who are more comfortable putting kids in front of a screen and having people just yap at them, and they Mm -hmm. have to have a certain number of hours in order to pass a certain number of credits without really gaining any knowledge right. simply because those people are accredited check your check with your state alternative right. education liaison and check the laws i know that in oregon if you are adjunct to a high school 
where over 50% of the staff are highly qualified. You yourself do not have to be highly qualified, but you still need to be held accountable for what you teach. Mm -hmm. So if you are not comfortable teaching something, you say so and have somebody else who is comfortable and knows what they're teaching, teach yeah. it. So you were saying earlier, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I wanted to add a point that was set up. You brought up earlier, we we're talking about administrators, 20%, uh, I think was a figure that of the administrators are the ones that have been in the classroom. No, that's policymakers. It's policy fewer makers. than 20%. It's closer. It's between 15. It's actually probably less than 15%. Okay. Over. Sorry about that. Okay. My, my point is this though, that the difference between uh, those that know and don't know is the difference between those that have done and not done simply because you can't know what you don't know. If you've never operated if you've never taught if you've never done the thing that you're supposed to oversee or or make enough understanding of to make policies for you've never done it enough to understand what you don't know then you're gonna miss so much and that's this you know like the curriculum development if you had an instructor that stood in front of the class and said this is how you do alternative ed you know you do it this way and that's your model once you get out of the classroom, you'll go, okay, but how does it work? But if you start to behave in an alternative education way while you're training to be an alternative educator, then when you get out there, it's you already have done and you know something about it. Mm -hmm. And that's really the true thing. And I, a lot of administrators didn't teach and never taught. And I thought to myself, that makes no sense. You just don't know what I am or what I do. You just don't. They need to let go of the micromanaging and all the control. They need yeah. to let it happen. It will happen if you have if you have a good set of teachers. That's why you're a teacher. I was hired to teach. I mean, I'm a professional. Wait, wait, wait. And I'm going to throw this out because yeah. we got a lot to get through. And we're still, it, I was reading... I was reading through some things online and I noticed different teachers were talking about why they became teachers and they were saying things. I want to do this because I want children to feel safe. That's why I went into teaching. And I thought, that's not a real reason to go into teaching. And somebody else said, I want to stop bullying. That's my primary goal as a teacher. That was why I went into teaching. And I thought, that's not why you go into teaching. You go into teaching to, one, teach kids, two, to help them, three, to build them up, four, to give them a brighter future with what it is that you are teaching them. It all falls in line. You don't go in there to stop bullying. You've just thrown the ABCs. You've just taken the cart and the ox and you have thrown them into the river and told them in a tornado. Get to the town as soon as you can. Yes. But where's the town? Oh, God, it's just, yeah. It's... So, okay. I, I we're talking about that. If you know the content of something, um, that's not enough. And if you teach your content and you can't teach it in a way that people get it like you do, like you can't share with them your enthusiasm for that content, 
then you're just not a teacher and you should just find something else to do. You may love doing it with what you do with science or math or literature, but if you can't exhibit that, that gut, I love to learn period. And this is what I really love to learn about and get people involved, even if they don't like it initially, then you're not a teacher. Well, you are a teacher. You just don't have the right delivery system. Yeah, you just you just don't have the skills. To, you, know, you may be great at the content. You're just not sharing it so well. So, right. You know, those that can't teach, you just do. So from the institutions, the policymakers, and the systems, yeah. what they should be also providing, aside from networking opportunities that they should be providing, they should be giving funding research on effective teaching practices and alternative education. But here again, when we talk about funding research on good alternative practices, we don't, now you're taking it back and you're making it an, into more of a compliance kind of thing. Everybody would be going in lockstep and that doesn't yeah, work. What you might have are what are some of the best practices and what are some of the best ideas, but a lot of those are organic and they're homegrown. Yeah. And so you have grassroots schools that are doing amazing things. And so you can do that. You might take some of the Waldorf or the Sudbury ideas. You might take, you just need to be exposed to all those different pedagogies and all those ideologies. Mm. Um, professional development opportunities. We're going to get into that. Collaborating with other teachers and stakeholders and creating a supportive and inclusive environment for teachers in an alternative setting so that they feel valued and supported and not like the back room where you toss things and close the door and walk away and you have absolutely no involvement. And once in a while you poke your head in to make sure that it's still there and the you might drive them around. But other yeah. than that, you really have no involvement with it whatsoever. Yeah, the true problems come when they disrespect your classroom and then on sort of student that just disrupts the entire thing. Mm -hmm. And they don't support you. They go, look, you know, this kid's bad at the high school. We want him over there. You just take him. And it's like, yeah, that's that doesn't give me any regard, nor does it give the other students any regard. There was nothing worse than when we would have a gaggle of administrators walk through our classroom while we were trying to teach and work with students. And we had some students watching some videos, some educational videos, or they might, I can't remember what else they were doing. Some of them just needed to be away and they just needed to have some space away from other people. Yeah. And they were working, maybe they were testing in our conference room and the administrators came in and said, we booked this room. Uh. Your kids need to leave. Uh. Aside from the other conference rooms and the other empty rooms in the building, it just had this air of asserting dominance. Was was it booking the room because they were working with your program? No, it had nothing to do with our program. Oh, it was just the room. It was, yeah, okay. but it was our room, and it was right. a cool room. Yeah, it, yeah, it was. Yeah, it's your that's that's your turf. And that right. kid was in there, you know, because they wanted to be alone and work in silence, and yeah. Right. And it was our conference room because, you know, we had meetings in there with different businesses. We had meetings in there with students where we did yeah. student training. We 
there were a number of reasons There's we did so our interviews for them. That would be that. Yeah, I would, mm -hmm. and, and so many reasons why you would make it your room because right, it's right. But they decided that it was on their in their best interest to uh, assert their influence. Okay, well, that's the difference, isn't it? Right. So, how are you supporting technology and integrating technology and not going whole hog on technology? using evidence-based practices. Um, and by evidence-based practices, that doesn't mean data-based practices. It's what are practices that actually get the kids up and excited and doing and moving through what they're going to be doing. It's and really, maybe there is data that works with that. But It's really important not to get too data-driven because eventually what starts to occur is the result starts to drive what you put back in. So your the data you want becomes the data you focus on, which limits the educational process. And that's what right. I saw happen when it came to when the standards went through. I have nothing against standards, but when they went through, the focus was so intent on them, a lot of electives, a lot of resources that I used went away. It just, it was like the, the cart slowly moved in front of the horse. Mm -hmm. Right. And that was what students needed in order to have their social emotional learning. If they don't have that, then they're, then they're, they yeah. don't have an outlet. It was and so classroom but, result, classroom result atmosphere in the last 15 years. But we have these government funded programs now yeah, that well, we have to use they're because they're government funded and they know better rather than yeah. what was what worked well in the past yeah. and Without i knew something bad was going to happen okay let's move on yeah accreditation and recognition that's interesting accreditation so, accreditation now here is something that and this would have to do with training programs now yeah. what the notes that I took, what I discovered was that they were pushing for a national national standards for alternative ed mm. and a national registry of alternative educators. Here's the problem. Every state creates their own standards and practices for a teacher licensing. Correct. It's not national. Yes, there is a national there is a national certification. Do we want some? Do we really want to have a national accreditation? No. For alternative education? No, I no, I no, I don't. It's hard enough to get people to agree from coast to coast, as long as you're going in the correct direction and you're adhering to the state standards. Because nationally, they want to put everything into the same hole. Yeah, and they can't even find the hole. I mean, I don't trust a national registry of anything. It's first off, it's a political awfulness. So. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, dig a ditch. And then where does it go to? I don't know. We're just digging a ditch. <laughs> right. But what each state should do then is um, figure out clear and rigorous standards for teaching preparation programs in alternative education. What would some of those standards be? What would you want? Do you oh. want somebody who's there to stop bullying or do you want somebody who loves kids yeah. and who can mm. and and who has has a passion for what they're doing? 
I know that when I interviewed for my for my one job and I came to the, my last district, my future boss was interviewing me and she bumped into one of my colleagues from my other job and they were good friends. And I had no idea that they were good friends. In fact, the other one called me and said, I didn't know. And she said, is he really, is he really that crazy that he likes these kids? Or is there something mentally wrong with him? And the mutual friend of ours said, oh, no, he loves working with these kids. He just loves them. And they love him back. And so that got me my job. But it's because oh. I taught what I felt was appropriate and what I wanted to learn and bring them along with me. And so we could all learn together. That's exactly how I think. It's, so, yeah, it, exactly. Yeah. So, of course, I mean, I looked at some of my kids and I said one time, I said, okay, I want you each to pick an animal and I want you guys to find out these these certain things and I want you to write a paper about it and I will lead you on how to write a paper about it. And a year later, one of the kids who had graduated, he called me up and said, can we meet for coffee? I said, sure. We went out. He said, you're the one who taught me all about whatever it was that he chose. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I said, really? He said, I didn't know all these things before. It wasn't about the paper. And they all they all finished writing the paper and they did a yeah. good job of it. But it they were getting into being able to have the freedom and the liberty to choose what it was that they were going to write about. Yep. It wasn't you who taught him everything. It was him who learned it all. Right. And wow. so that's what we are. We're a guide. We're a facilitator. Yeah, I'm happy to help. I had no idea it would be that significant an assignment for you, but I'm always trying. Right. <laughs> and so that was part of my training, though, was having that realization. And if you're not still training while you're learning alternative ed, then the spark is gone. You might as well go back to mainstream ed for a little bit. Because I think that the burnout rate for alternative ed is high simply because there is no support. Yeah, there is recognition and you're constantly fighting these tropes. Yeah, that's exactly it. They're, you know, they're seeing it as a, a disciplinary program and you're trying to teach and it's like, wait a minute. Here, wait. Right. So how do we develop a process for teacher preparation programs mm -hmm. in alternative ed and who would be overseeing it? Well, that's, see, that's the rub. You have to have people who know what they're talking about. You can't just grab somebody and say, okay, you're in charge of this because it all becomes very political. And then you see people already at the departments of education who roll their eyes and, you know, they have to go through different processes and everything. So there has to be something. It's a huge change. And then it just, I have a feeling if you started to propose construct, present an alternative education program standard, um, set of standards, I think it, you'd run into some people who would just fight you on the basis of, you can't change things like that. You can't, you can't do that. Right. But those are the people that you don't want around you. <laughs> yes, that's true. But those are the people that some of them make the decisions. 
like, well, we can't do that. It's like, well, well, who made we them God, and I've who told that. them that they even knew what they were talking about? Well, someone who voted them in or appointed them or something, and all of a sudden you're going, oh God. Well, again, we're dealing with a policymaker who has little or no experience in education. What is? What did I know about it? They do. They're the policymaker. It's like, oh. It's, it's like you go home, bang your head against the wall, and then go in and smile and go, my day's over. <laughs> right. And so figuring out an advocacy, and that's where the state and the national organizations yeah, were trying to do we really do need that. And that support, like you said, there's so much burning. It's really, right. it, it's the way to go. And just, it's not the way, not the only way, but it's one of the ways to go that is very valid. Mm-hmm. That's why okay. <laughs> Partnerships and collaboration. So how do we work with other people? How do we learn with them? I think I mentioned last week that we used to have the colleague college where we would, where we would teach each other something. There was some new skill that we were going for. um, And that was also down under professional development, but how do we create a professional learning community and who are these people that are willing to work with us? If there are alternative educators that you work with who aren't willing to do it, that's fine. Leave them in the dust. I feel sorry for the kids. That It's a huge red flag to me that they're unwilling to do it. And if they're always looking for excuses. Uh, but where are some of the other people that you can hang with who might be there? We had an incredible alternative ed teacher who came to us and he said that he was being micromanaged by the mainstream education. And he fought back and said, let me do what I do. And then you'll see the results. Just leave me alone. And they said, well, we can't do that because we don't know what you're doing. And he said, well, that's a good thing. Yeah. So anyway, he just needed to get away from the micromanaging. So he came over, he interviewed with us, we hired him and he was, he was magic because he would tell the kids stories and he had them wrapped around his fingers and they would work for him and they did so much. And so he and I would collaborate and we would do a lot and I would work with other teachers, but I couldn't get the others schools and programs to do what we were doing because they were so set in their ways of the kids will sit in front of the computer and they will do it that way. Here's a shout out too, though, to make both mainstream educators and alternative ed educators um, regarding the colleague college and the professional learning communities. Um, I think that most of those people would be wildly in favor of dedicating that time to it and they're just not given any time to do it because of everything else that's compiled onto teachers they just it's sort of like you know i'd really love to do it but i'd also love to go to my son's you know little league game or something you know it's like it's almost like they don't or not even that but they don't even put it within the day the support is missing for that kind of thing all across the board and it's it needs valuable. to be it needs to be ingrained in the professional development days and even so they should be increased and sort of focused you know but yeah well what they have us do and if any of you 
have a different experience, let me know. But they make us go to the mainstream classroom teacher professional yeah. development, yeah. which has very little to do with what we're working on. It's nice to know what's going on with your rooms, but in our rooms, we're doing things differently. And so I used to get in trouble and people would say, you know, you need to be paying attention. And it's like, none of this has anything to do with us. Exactly. I am bored out of my mind. Oh, I heard an, I even got to, it was some, some places you heard an airing of grievances from mm-hmm. like high schoolers against elementary schools and back and forth. I'm like, what the heck is this? <laughs> <laughs> I am totally wasting my time. Meanwhile, I'm chopping at the bit to get back in my classroom to get my, you know, my stuff straight for the you know, beginning of the year. But, <laughs> but the thing is, is that if you've got good ideas and if you have a state organization, there's a conference mm-hmm. and you can share there. But if yeah. that's what you're limited to, if your yeah. state organization can have small regional meetings yeah. and people can do something there and you do something maybe once a quarter, that's a way of doing it. And you could share, you can boast, you can brag. You know, it's interesting if you think about it, but we're, we're always talking about good teachers learn and they mm-hmm. teach and it's sort of balanced, right? And the way the system is set up, like teach is just totally heavy. They never give you that time to collaborate or learn or, or, you know, partner or just do stuff. It's always, you know, this duty, that teaching duty, this duty. And pretty soon there's no time to learn. Like the college colleges were wonderful. Yeah. Right. And what, what ended up happening was they did create professional learning communities in our building. We weren't part of it. We were kept out of it, but they were micromanaged. That was a problem. And so here is what you will do in your professional learning community. And this is what you will discuss. Here's your agenda. And it's like, wait a minute. And who, who came up with this agenda? What's the process for that? Right. Yeah. And so, so there was nothing that was shared. It was all, yeah, I like that word contrived. It was contrived. Okay. So let's transition now into professional development opportunities. Hmm. So for many alternative educators, that would mean going off campus and meeting with other alternative educators, either Hmm. in your district in your community, in your state, that would mean that you would have funds for travel. If you need it overnight, they would need to provide those for you. Um, and what kinds of resources do you have? But this means that your administration actually gives us is about your program and about your students. Yep. They do. That's true. And, and you yeah. need the board too. How do you create training programs? Start thinking about who the, who are the new people that are coming in and maybe with other people, you can start creating a training program that you could connect with the universities or colleges that have training programs. And you can talk to them about how do you implement those? I used to go in and give workshops at the colleges. Yeah. and the universities and i would 
I was amazed at how many students wanted to go into alternative ed, but they said, how do we get into it? You get lucky. Yeah, you do. The other thing too about ProDev is that uh, it's not just limited to education and educational theory. (laughs) Sorry, professional development. Um, I also took courses on uh, flow state, you know, and how, you know, how it works. And I took a course on um, meditation and uh, mental practices and uh, from a Navy SEAL, no less, really useful course. Um, so in other words, it, it like it was enrichment you know, courses for yourself. Right. Well, but then I obviously, as in what I love to do is share what I've learned. I shared it. I incorporated, I actually taught flow state directly, mm-hmm. you know, what, what the hormones do and how they do it and how, you know, the results of it. And, and it's pretty exciting. Of course, you know, we've done crazy stuff and filmed it on flow state, but, yeah, it, it's just learning what learning is and learning how we learn and how the brain works can be nothing but beneficial. And I've really incorporated a lot of that. So I guess I was kind of alternative being alternative, but yeah. Right. And I think that we also need to get rid of the notion that every kid needs to graduate on time. Oh, well, yeah, that's, that was gone for me. That's a big relief. But, but you're right, absolutely right. And that goes with pacing, but yeah. it's it also works towards creating a more efficient curriculum. Yes. So yeah, if somebody that. has if somebody has that magic it that you can put in and you can try and develop because if you can just if you can just do it the first day and all of a sudden you have magic, you're already doing it. You have to develop these things because you have to make them your own. And a lot of people don't understand that. They think that they can just try something and it's going to magically work. But of course it has to be on your own because you are your own person. And so you are the magic in one sense, as well as delivery. Right. If you have that, that, the charisma, that energy behind it, anything can be taught and get to anything else. When I was teaching flow state, for example, I was was teaching biology, neurobiology, Mm -hmm. you know, and making it just getting to it through that subject. I felt good about that. It's like, because they're hard subjects. Yeah. Yeah. So, but we're looking at improved student outcomes, right? Yeah, always, aren't we? I mean, and I we want the students it. to be successful. If that means the kid's there for another three weeks in September, the kid's there for another three weeks in September. You uh, may have yeah. to you may have to do some weird tangle with the kid in order to get them to come back for the three weeks, but then they are done. And it, but you also need to be sure that you give yourself the time off so that you're not constantly working. Uh, it's such a high burnout rate in alternative education for a very good reason. There's a bunch of reasons. Yeah. So, but you're going to have a stronger program. Um, you're going to be a more effective teacher. And so start looking for those. Next one, supportive policies and funding. And this yeah. is, this is a wrinkle. <laughs> supportive policies. When you have, when you have a school district or an administration 
who refers to the students as those kids, and you should have no qualms about looking at them when they say, the kids in alternative ed, and you just look at them and you say, no, you mean our kids. They are all of our kids in alternative education. Good point. They are not those kids. Don't other our kids. Correct them. They may, they may not like it, but they know that you're right. But you need to be able to get policies and funding because alternative ed tends to be the most underfunded. They tend to have no policies, and if they are policies, they are punitive by nature. Restrictive. Yes. The and they do. You're starting from an expensive standpoint anyway. Alt ed is expensive. For a very good reason. Exactly. For because a very good reason. <laughs> yeah. When you have to remediate that number of students, mm-hmm. And you are specialized. You don't even need special ed involved if you're doing your alternative education properly, because you're already doing you're already doing special ed. It's already baked into the to the program into what you're doing. Years of experience, I can absolutely agree with that. I never needed special ed. I became special ed. I I liked some of the things that was that was told, like work on this or work on that. That was helpful, but as far as like having a special ed department, no way. I mean, you, I didn't need it. Mm-hmm. We are special. <laughs> right. Mean, everyone's on an IEP. <laughs> so yeah. this is where the policymakers come in as well as the administration yeah. and the school boards. So they need to start advocating for policies that support the special education. That means provide funding for alternative education programs, create supportive regulatory environment, ensure that they are adequately funded. But we know that schools are not adequately funded, even though most states have the constitutional liability. It's baked into the Constitution that the schools will be fully funded, but they always don't do it. I know it's like, yeah. It's, and why people don't hold them to task for that, I have no clue. But you also have to have supportive regulatory environment, including flexibility and program design and implementation, as well as policies that protect the rights of students and the families. Yeah. Supporting legislation, providing funding. It could be at the state level you might even be able to take it at the federal level i don't know where you live or what what little strings you can pull but you know um how do you advocate for changes to existing regulations or for the development of new regulations a lot of that can happen within your state organization and should yes and then providing data because what we what we noticed in a predominantly white suburban district was that the majority of the minority kids were going into alternative ed because it was safer. And the number of white kids was diminishing. 
and yeah. and the minorities were succeeding. Oh yeah. And they just felt they felt more at home there. They felt they could be themselves. Yes. That you know, they were talking about that too as a big deal in that in our district. Is, oh, there's too many kids of color in alternative ed, but they were looking at it from the wrong standpoint. Of well, you're looking at it like it's a di- disciplinary thing. Uh, I'm kind of thinking a lot of them, we actually get like little sisters and little brothers. You know what I mean? They want to be there. It's like, yeah, it's mm-hmm. not because they're being sent here so much. as It's also because they don't feel comfortable being a student in high school. Well, the so question, there. instead of looking at it and saying, why are there so many minority students going to alternative ed the question should be why do our minority students feel more comfortable going to alternative ed what are we not doing in the in our hallways in our classrooms in our building to make them feel welcome wanted and needed with the right kind of eyes you can see the question clearly (laughs) yeah i they saw it as a problem. I'm thinking, no, I think these kids are just smart. <laughs> but if you, but there are places where they have implementation of supportive policies, yeah. of supportive funding, and they have improved student outcomes. They have increased teacher effectiveness and program quality. The program I left, it was international. They were flying between all the states and overseas to the UK to implement the exact same program. And yet, 50 years later, when we celebrated that, not one administrator showed up, except for the building principal. The superintendent didn't show up. None of the school board members showed up. Nobody. Even though they had been invited, there were press releases that went out. And what does that tell you about our current state of education that an alternative program of 50 years, 51 now, does not deserve the recognition from a school board, and a superintendent who tout how precious and important students are, it's because they aren't the right kind of students. Getting run over by the big gray truck. (laughs) Yes. Okay, so we're getting on a roll here. Research and evidence-based practices. That's a, that's my curriculum. Everything was so it's like first it was implemented, and then it was like, well, that didn't work so good, or hey, that worked great. I should expand on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and I think that if you look at the NAEA, uh, if you look at the rubrics for holding alternative programs accountable, yeah. that those are there yeah. because. What you do, you're working off of the standards, correct? 
you just have a different way of doing it. And this is nothing new. It's the same thing that's been done for years. Yeah, the standards are there. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. and your methods always need to be adjusted. Even if they're dialed in, they're not dialed in the same next year or whatever. It's right. Everything's done. And you get this through the PLCs. You get it through professional yeah. de- development opportunities. You get it through people who care through going and and talking to people and doing your research and having the time to do all of this. So basically what's happening is we have front-loaded almost everything that we're talking about with examples, but everything is, I'm just going to use it, incestuous in many ways because everything just kind of melds and it all works in great synchronicity. That's like, that's what teaching is. Even despite, even despite your administration, it can be synchronous. So it can. So you have improved student outcomes, teacher effectiveness, and program quality. Now, standards and certification, we already talked about it. We talked about this towards the beginning. And do we need a national board that oversees education. And so states would would go to that. And I'm thinking, why would we do that when that's like saying every district will do the same kinds and every program will do will do everything lockstep. Exactly. And that doesn't work. We know that. Every family doesn't work that way. Right. That's the it's the antithesis. Right. After. And so it made me wonder, and so maybe that's something we can talk about at a later time. Yeah, I'd love to, because that's like, hmm. yeah. And now we're finally at support and mentorship programs. So this again, we need to have. This is student teaching. How often are how often are alternative education programs kept off of student teacher lists? It's very rare to have. The only way I ever had a student teacher was if one of my assistants needed to do their student teaching. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because student teaching is mentorship. It is mentorship. Yeah. I When I got out of, uh, when I went to graduate school and I did my mentorship in a mainstream mm-hmm. high school, big one, uh, I did not visualize anything about my career other than going to another big high school you know and want to going into mr summer's room and you know you know like i do when i substitute now then i get hired and i get into alternative ed and it's just kind of like what the heck is this and then i started changing and fortunate for me you know i got that job i had no idea i mean i just thought Schools were schools. I didn't know what I'm talking about. Right. And a lot of times you have people who are absolutely resistant. There were some people who just quit. I know a couple I ran into late in my career, like six months and they were gone. I'm like, what the heck? They just fled. <laughs> they just, this is not at all what I expected. And I can't deal with these kids and I can crying kind of thing. Well, there again, it has oh, to do with what's your hard. intent in teaching. Yeah, I just, I don't know what her deal was. She was just overwhelmed by the environment. Overall, 
everything that we've talked about tonight, it's frustrating because it could be there, but there's just that, I don't know, I have that je ne sais quoi of what it takes to knock some sense into the administrators, into the school boards. So join us next week when we discuss the importance of integrating alternative education principles and practices into teacher training programs. So until then, Philip, thank you very much. Thank you, Tony. And to everybody else, have a great week, and we'll see you again hmm. soon.